This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Carolina Hurricanes dressed in Hartford Whalers uniforms tonight in Boston. The Hurricanes lead the Bruins 1-0 after the first period. Early in the second, Blue Jackets leading the Devils 1-0, and the Islanders are up 2-1 on the Sens. After the first, Panthers with a 1-0 lead in Pittsburgh, and about seven minutes left in the first period. Good showdown here. Jets and Lightning tied 1-1. Wheeler and Gourd are the goal scorers. All right, games that will affect the Fortunes of the Edmonton Oilers about to get underway. Minnesota taking on Nashville in half an hour. Dallas home to the Rangers in an hour. Colorado home to Detroit. Also in an hour, the Coyotes home to the Ducks. All those will affect the Edmonton Oilers. And later on tonight, the Kings will play the Canadians. So Dallas and Minnesota both with 71 points. They are the two wildcard teams. Arizona 69, Colorado 68. Those teams all playing tonight. And then you have the Oilers with 65 points. Uh, the only team hanging around in the Western playoff race that will play tomorrow is Vancouver. They're two behind Edmonton and eight out of the playoffs. The Canucks will play Toronto tomorrow and then come to Rogers Place for a game on Thursday night. That one will be on 6.30, Chad, with the face-off show at 5.30 and the puck dropping at 7. So the Edmonton Oilers have gone 5-1-2 and two in their last eight games. This is over a stretch of, of two weeks. It was two weeks ago today they suffered that shootout loss to Arizona where Nugent Hopkins tied it with 11 seconds left with the goalie on the bench. They lost in a shootout. Remember McDavid didn't play that game. He was a late scratch because of an illness. So that was the start of this 5-1-2 and two run. Going into action on that day the Oilers were seven points out of a playoff spot. So they've picked up 12 out of a possible 16 points since then, and they've only made up one point. And depending on what happens tonight, uh, they could be seven or eight points out of a playoff spot once again. But they are playing a lot better. They are getting the results. Well, how have they done it? Well, a f- couple of things here are big, I think. Miko Koskinen, despite being pulled in the blowout loss in Toronto, the Oilers' only regulation time loss in the last eight games, has been doing pretty good. He has a 9.32 save percentage in the last eight games with a shutout and a 2.25 goals against average. So he's been making the saves. Leon Dreisaitl, obviously a major story. In these past eight games, six goals, eight assists for 14 points. 
And Connor McDavid, though he's only played five of these eight games, has nine points in five games. So the big guys are leading the way offensively. So that is a couple of big reasons why the Oilers are on this little run. And another thing, and this factors into it, sometimes you got to get the breaks. And I look at these games the Oilers have won, the five they have won. Well, let's reflect on some very key moments here, critical moments that have gone the Oilers' way. 45 seconds left in the game last Saturday against Anaheim. The Oilers are up 2-1. Corey Perry scores. The Ducks once again think they've tied a game against the Oilers with the goalie on the bench. The referee waves it off for goalie interference. After video review, they say that's the right call. The goal's not going to count. The Oilers hang on to win 2-1. I am continually perplexed about the standard for goalie interference. We've, uh, I mean, I guess everybody has their own opinion on it. There's many that I have thought would be called one day that were called the other and vice versa. I thought that was a goal for Anaheim. That if I'm calling it, I would have counted. The league didn't. Okay, the Oilers get a break there. 9.22 left in the game in Ottawa last week. The Oilers are up 3-2. Colin White knocks the puck out of the air. Down to the ice in front of him. Then he shoots it in and scores. But the referee says, wait a minute, you batted that from out of the air, above the height of your shoulders, which means it's an automatic stoppage as soon as you or a teammate touches it. So we can't review it because the play was dead before you took the shot on goal. I think the replay showed that was pretty for sure below the height of the shoulder. That's a tough call for a ref. It's a bang-bang play. He's got to make it in an instant, but probably a break for the Oilers there. And then last night, the Oilers with a one-goal lead late in the third period, and one of the weirdest plays of all time. Here's Montour in from the right-hand side. Snap, one-timer, no, it stayed out. Pominville might have hit the post. Well, of course, we know now, after seeing the replay, it didn't hit the post. Somehow, Pominville partially fanning on the shot on his follow-through. His stick gets in the way of the puck, and then he actually sweeps the puck out of the danger area and the Oilers survive. can probably take 100 shots from, from that area and it might never happen. Um, but it happened tonight. I, I mean, it was clearly going in and just kind of double-touched it on, on, my, on my way back. And, um, yeah, it was just a tough, tough feeling when you see it uh, going in and then all of a sudden coming out. Pominville after the game as the Sabres are seeing their playoff hopes slipping away. But that wasn't the only weird miss in the game last night. Tour had it stripped to Darlene and now McDavid's got an empty net. He skates in and shoots him off the post. An absolute gimmity and missed. I don't know when you're going to see that again. McDavid with an open net and nobody between he and the goal decides to shoot it in from the top of the circle instead of going right in close and putting it in like he usually does and he hits the outside of the post and Buffalo comes back and Dreisaitl takes a penalty and it was still tense though the Oilers were able to survive in the end and of course McDavid missing an open net on what looked like a freebie brings back a lot of memories and I've dug into the archive January 4th, 2007. 17 seconds remaining. Here's Bergeron fanning on his pass and then gave it away to Stefan and he goes in and he, <laughs> met, he fell. And now here's a long pass to off Sakura to Ryan Smith in front of Hitsky. Score! 
formation. The puck comes to Hemsky, and oh my, he does it again. Another beautiful uh, goal by Alex Hemsky. He makes the move on Turco and beats him cleanly, and it is a tie game with two seconds remaining in this third period. Morley, all the stars stopped skating. They, they did. The game was that over. Game, they, were, that goal. they were going. They were going home. They were ready to go home. The classic moment, the legendary Rod Phillips and my good buddy Morley Scott calling that game January 4th, 2007. Dallas did wind up winning 6-5 in a shootout, but uh, one of the weirdest empty net misses uh, of all time. McDavid's luckily did not come back to haunt the Edmonton Oilers. So Edmonton now back home. They will start that homestand, a four-gamer, on Thursday against Vancouver. No practice today. They'll practice tomorrow morning at Rogers Place. And time for Edmonton to make home ice an advantage. And how many times have I said that to you this season? Far too many. Edmonton is below 500 at home. Only four teams in the NHL have that dubious distinction. The Oilers, the Senators, Red Wings, and the Kings. Those other three teams are below the Oilers in the overall standings. The Oilers have just four wins in their last 16 home games. Four wins in their last 16 home games. If somehow they're going to stay alive, and this is still very difficult. I don't want to sugarcoat it. The Oilers are not in a great situation, even though they are playing better lately, but there's not a lot of room for error. I mean, we're still looking at probably a maximum of four regulation losses is what the Oilers can afford to have a chance at a spot in the postseason. But nine of their next 12 at home, they finally, finally need to make it count on home ice. Hopefully starts on Thursday against the Canucks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in to Inside Sports. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist. Call 7804-FAMILY or check them out online at FurnaceFamily.com. You can text 63630. The email is InsideSports at 630Ched.com. You can also call 78049. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 60063. We have a couple of eager beavers standing by on the phone line. We will get to them when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. The Oilers trying to stay alive in the playoff race. That is the short to medium term story, a longer term story. Who will the general manager of the hockey team be? There are GM meetings going on right now in Florida. Bob Nicholson there representing the Oilers, and he was asked, does the next GM need to have NHL experience in that job? I think it's uh, always important. You know, you're playing in the National Hockey League. Uh, you know, there certainly are a lot of uh, up-and-coming uh, people that are assistant general managers that uh, really know the league and know the players. And I think, you know, really focusing on what is uh, 
the Oilers need? What is our first number one uh, criteria for the position of general manager? And getting closer to that, uh, realizing what that'll be. And uh, again, because of so many good discussions I've had. All right. Uh, there's been reports here over the last couple of days. Uh, Darren Dreger, including from TSN, listing Kelly McCrimmon, Dave Nonis, Keith Gretzky, Sean Burke, Mike Fuda, Mark Hunter as candidates, though, of course, uh, there could be others. It's going to be an interesting storyline to follow for your Edmonton Oilers. We have Castle Downs' Dan on line two. Hello, Dan. Hey, Reed. How's it going? Good. I was enjoying that uh, playback from that game in 2007. I was at the game with my buddy Ian, and we were sitting in the very top row getting ready to get our coats on because the game was over. And, of course, uh, Hemsky scored, and I... I was right on the edge of the row, so I jumped up and yay and everything, and I came down and I landed half on the stair and uh, half not on the stair and went tumbling down. Oh, my goodness. Guy three, do- guy three rows down from me caught me. Otherwise, I'd have went all the way to the bottom. Okay, well, I'm glad he Ian- saved you. <laughs> the only thing my buddy Ian said was, I went, I looked over to high-five you and you were, you were gone. <laughs> I thought you left. All right. <laughs> awesome. Anyhow, thanks for playing that. I always love hearing it. Cool, buddy. We'll see you around. Okay, have a good one. Castle Downs, Dan, checking in. We also have Elvis on the line. Elvis, nice to hear from you. Yeah, Reed, it's been a little while. Good to, good to. I've been tuning in all the time and loving the show. Thank you. Uh, just, just a couple, couple little comments here. Number one, uh, I, as much as I'm a, a huge Oiler fan, and would love to see them make the players at Bettman point, like you were just mentioning. It seems, it seems like you know we go, we go really good, and then uh, you know the other teams. They they get two points and they're ahead of you again. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a it's going to be a tough haul if they're able to do it. Second point I wanted to make was I wanted to talk about the GM position, Reed. Mm-hmm. And I am I am of the mind, and I've got bets with my friends at work. I will bet that Keith Gretzky gets the job. Uh, I, I I I will. I'm so sure of this, and How come? I'm not skeptical about it. Uh, the the biggest biggest thing I have though is everyone was questioning the signing of Miko Koskinen. And I listened to you guys when you guys played the conference from Bob, Bob Nicholson, and he said that Shirelli had nothing to do with that day, with that trade, that it was, uh, I, I don't know who it was. I'm assuming it was Keith Gretzky. Well, and Sh- Shirelli, had, Shirelli had something to do with it, but what he was saying was it was a meeting with all the scouts and looking at, okay, who could we get in the summer? Is there an obvious better option that we could realistically get? And yeah. they said that, you know they're probably not going to get Bobrovsky as a UFA, so they stuck with who they had. Yeah, what do you, so what do you think? involved you... in it. He still makes the call on it. Yeah, uh, I, th- I, th- I thought I uh, thought you go back on your things. I thought he said that the decision was that he had no decision in in uh, that on, on that on the uh, Koskinen signing. Well, I, th- I the way I remember it is that it wasn't solely Peter's idea, but in that position. If you're the GM, you're ultimately signing off on it, I think. But sure, yeah. there's input from other people. But anyway, sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure so if you listened, to, we just went back on the podcast. You'd be able to hear it or whatever. Okay. But that's that's a, that neither here nor there. But I do want to say that I I hope and I truly truly hope that they exhaust everything because this I in my opinion I think this is Bobby's Bobby Nick's last kick at the can. I mean this 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 organization you you know 
there's general managers. There's only 30, 31 jobs in this league for that position. And there's people that would love to jump into this position. It's not like you're going to a team that, that's, uh, you know, like a Seattle or something like that. You're starting off with two nuclear weapons in McDavid and Dreisaitl, not to mention everybody else, like Clefbaum, Nurse, uh, everybody that's going hand in hand down here. Like you mentioned, Miko Koskinen, small sample case, but look how look what the numbers that he's putting up. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you get the right person in there, and they'll turn this around quick. I believe it. I'm not buying into this that this is a two three, two year uh, rebuild or three year this or that. I think if they they play their cards right, and I, it's not that I'm not a Gretzky fan. I'm just fearful. I wish they would get away because I don't want. I want fresh people in there running it because we've done the same thing over and over for X amount of years, and it hasn't worked out for us too great. All right. See you, Elvis. Thanks, Reed. Martin on line three. Go ahead, Martin. Yes, I want you, or I would like you to have you take and uh, pull up the uh, on Google the NHL scores and do the podcast replay of the game last night between Oilers and Buffalo. And in the third period, there was what would have been a timing goal where it kind of showed that the player stopped the puck from going into the net when it was on its way to the, into the net, and he kind of shot it away. Yeah, Jason Palmerville, I, ju- I played that about uh, 15 minutes ago, Martin. I don't know if you were listening yet. No, no. And to me, it, like when I pulled it up, I uh, got the impression that Buffalo didn't want to score that tying goal. Well, no, the guy, it was, made him, he made a mistake. He lost his balance and accidentally cleared his own shot. Do you really think that? Or because uh, uh, myself, I, I kind of had a different reading on that. What's your reading, that the Buffalo lost on purpose? I, that's what I would say. Okay. Well, but, uh, but you know that's just. Uh, I, if you think that you're you're entitled to think that, but I I think it was just a rare play that he missed. Thanks, Martin. Okay, bye. All right, seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can also text six thirty six thirty. I'll catch up on a couple of those as we move along throughout the show. Kelly Rudy will check in tonight. Brian Lawton from the NHL Network, former GM himself, is going to be on after the uh, six thirty news, and we will have. From the Brooks Bandits, the head coach and GM, Ryan Papawano, they went 57-3 in the AJHL season. They have not lost a game since November 27th. Pretty incredible story, so he's going to check in later on tonight and let us know how they've been able to do that. Kellen Kennedy working hard on the other side of the window tonight. Is there some wrestling coming to Edmonton? March 15th. Is that next? that next Friday? Are you going? Uh, I'll be here with you. You're going to miss wrestling. Yeah, because I'm heading to New York to catch wrestling at the end of the month anyway. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) All right, we're back after the 6.30 news. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. The Hartford Whalers, pardon me, the Carolina Hurricanes, dressed as the Hartford Whalers tonight in Boston, leading the Bruins 2-1 with seven minutes left in the second period. Also in the second, Blue Jackets up 1-0 on the Devils, 36th of the season for Atkinson. Islanders lead the Senators 4-2. Penguins up 2-1 on the Panthers. 
after the first period, 1-1 Jets and Lightning. And 12 minutes into the game, so far so good for the Oilers here. Predators up 1-0 on the Wild. Rangers and Stars about to get underway. Oilers fans will want the Rangers to win that one. Red Wings in Colorado. Oilers fans want Detroit there. Ducks and Coyotes. And I hate to do this to you, oil country, but you will want Anaheim to knock off Arizona tonight. Later on, the Kings will play the Montreal Canadiens. Raptors in action, trailing Houston 18-13 with three minutes left in the first quarter. Later on tonight, we will talk to U of A Golden Bears goaltender Zach Sachenko. He came up big as the Golden Bears won the Canada West Championship, taking games two and three of their best of three series on the road against the Saskatchewan Huskies. Bears will be going to Nationals next week. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Man, a lot to get to, and I am pleased to welcome back to the show a guy I love chatting with, former first overall draft pick, former GM, now with the NHL Network. It is Brian Lawton. Brian, good to talk to you, buddy. How are you doing? My pleasure, Reed. I'm doing well, thank you. It's uh, great to have you on the show. Uh, an eventful game last night for the Edmonton Oilers in Buffalo. The the Pominville unintentional block of his own shot. Uh, that's going to be on the the misplays of the month or whatever whatever channel is calling it. Uh, Brian, I don't. In a game you played that either happened to you or at a teammate or an opponent, was there ever something you thought was a sure goal, and then a second later you're shaking your head? What happened on something weird like that? Uh, you know what? It happens more than you think. But that was pretty severe. At the most inopportune for the Buffalo Sabers, that's for sure. Yeah, that was a crazy one. And I mean. It, if he, he he fanned on it, but even if he just fans on it and doesn't actually get his stick in the way, it's it still would have trickled over the goal line. Uh, that was nuts for sure, and a bad break for the Sabers, a, a good one for the Oilers. Brian uh, Edmonton still somewhat alive in the playoff race. It's going to be tough, but they're playing in the right direction. Uh, I, I just want to ask you what you see from Leon Draisaitl. He's he's on a tear. He's got 17 points over 11 game point streak. He's scoring on the power play. He's scoring shorthanded. Uh, and I mean, you've been there where you've had high expectations as a player, and, and he's certainly rising to them lately. Yeah, he really is. It's kind of a coming out party for Leon, and I don't say that lightly. Obviously, he's been a tremendous player in the league already in the past but uh, it looks and feels different this year. He's certainly going to hit new career uh, highs in terms of points, uh, already there, obviously. And then when you look at the goals and where he is overall in the National Hockey League, it's incredible. It's remarkable. What I like about Leon is that in the past, there's always he's been a very controversial player because everybody has felt that whenever you have a Connor McDavid, you should automatically be in the playoffs. Dreisaitl's overpaid. This, that, is another thing. He's proving that he's not overpaid. He's proving that he is a superstar. And to me, he's proving that one day he will lead the Oilers the way that Crosby and Malkin lead the Penguins. I believe firmly that McDavid and Dreisaitl will lead the Oilers. Well, there. I mean, McDavid could get a career high in points, too. And like you mentioned, uh, Drysaddle's already there. And by the way, Nugent Hopkins has a career high in points. We shouldn't forget that as well. And, and he's having a pretty good two-way season. You know, you went through being a young player in the NHL as a GM. You brought young players into the league. And now as an agent, you represented young players. And now you're talking about young players on the NHL network. And I look at Drysaddle. 
And I just think there's there's something in his mentality because he was always a playmaker. It's not as if he didn't get goals, but he always seemed like a pass-first type of guy. Do, do players have to evolve maybe as they get into the league where they have to think, no, 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 I, I'm the finisher here. I'm going to look to the net first. Like, have you seen guys go through that or maybe you went through that yourself at some point in your career? No, I've absolutely seen guys go through that. And a lot has to do with, you know, what's what's made you successful in the past is that Leon certainly scored his fair share of goals, but he was a pass-first mentality guy. And now I think he just came to the realization, and I've seen this happen before, where a guy recognizes that because you're a pass-first, you're generally a pretty selfless individual. But in this particular case here, I think Leon has recognized that in order for me to help the team as much as I can, I have to shoot the puck more. I have to be more of a finisher. And conversely, he's turned himself into that. It's for the betterment of the club. Um, It's not easy to do, but he's always had the talent. He's just been a guy, not unlike, you know, another guy that's kind of having a little bit of a breakout this year for me got a couple goals tonight in the Boston game, Sebastian Arho. Another first-pass mentality guy, and all of a sudden you look up and he's got 27 goals this year, uh, which is a career high for him. But they're, they're just young players that are recognizing that they can do more than just pass the puck to other players. They can actually finish themselves. Leon is a huge example of that. I mean, I just, quite frankly, I've always thought he would score more than he has in the beginning of his career but not as much as we've seen so quickly, that's for sure. With 41 goals, uh, it's been pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, and Ajo is a, <laughs> a great player as well. I'm glad you brought him up for sure. Brian Lawton joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, Brian, we, we I haven't been using this term as much lately. I think Jim Matheson from, the, uh, from Post Media here in Edmonton might have been the first one to call it this. Uh, the race for the... Western Conference wildcard spots he has called the Turtle Derby. Uh, some teams have picked it up a little bit lately, including the Oilers, including Arizona. Minnesota's uh, had some important wins and, and points lately. I mean, look, I, I'm realistic about where the Oilers are at. They, they finally got to make some hay at home, which they haven't been able to do uh, this this season, really. So we'll, we'll see how they do with nine of their next 12 at home. But how do you handicap it with Dallas and Minnesota in that spot now, Arizona and Colorado hanging around, and Edmonton uh, still sort of there on the fringe, I guess, if I bring those five teams into it? Uh, who, who do you think has the inside edge? Well, Edmonton's definitely still there, but every loss is a crushing blow for them at this stage. You know, they've got about 16 games left. It depends on what you think the final number is going to be. I actually think it'll be 90 to 91 points. Um, I just believe between Dallas, Minnesota, Arizona, Colorado, and Edmonton, two of those teams are going to end up at that amount. And, of course, you know, Dallas is six games over 500, so they need to continue to play better, but not a lot better down the stretch to get to 90. So just four games above. 500. So I believe that they'll get there. Minnesota's a wild card for me because when you look at the strength of the schedule, you're talking about Edmonton and how many home games they have and how their schedule in general is a little bit easier than some of the other clubs in this mix. Minnesota, conversely, has the hardest schedule of anybody left. Um, to be fair to them, they beat some really good teams lately, though, and that surprised a lot of people. This game against the Preds, uh, 
they win that one, boy, that would go a long way to their cause already down the road, as you mentioned earlier. So I believe that in order for Edmonton to get there, they can't really worry about that stuff. One of those two teams that are in there right now between Dallas and Minnesota, I think will have a bit of a run. The other one I think will struggle. That's the spot the Oilers should be focused on. They're going to have to win essentially 12 or 13 of their remaining 16 games, in my opinion. Yep, I think that's probably a fair assessment for sure. Okay, one more before I let you go, and this is the the big picture story for the Oilers that's probably going to be a more a headline grammar once grabber once we get into the off season but they're going to need a new gm there are some some names out there a, a lot of them are assistant general managers uh, i know you operate in this world still are, are there any guys that you think you know maybe it's in edmonton maybe somewhere else but assistant gms that are poised to take the reins of a team themselves i think there's a lot of really good assistant general managers in the national hockey league um, one guy that I would call a little bit non-traditional at this point, but there's really two guys that come to mind that I, that I think should be candidates for this job. One is an ex-Oiler player, Billy Garrett, a guy that obviously works for the Penguins, but I just think Billy, when I spend time with him, he's sharp, uh, he's on top of the league, he's a confident guy. He obviously uh, was an excellent player in this league for a number of teams and a Stanley Cup champion, but um, I just think he's got what it takes to eventually be a general manager uh, for him. Uh, I think it's just a matter of time. And then the other guy that you know I really think highly of would be Kelly McCrimmon. I think he's done a really nice job for Vegas. A little bit non-traditional in his path to the National Hockey League, but obviously strong in the West, but what I really like about him is that he has a tremendous background in evaluating and scouting players, and I think that's going to be key. Both of those two guys are guys, if I had to just fairly evaluate them, it would be on the other side of it, the duties that a general manager does besides scouting and evaluating, and that is your ability to manage the group, to create a culture where people are going to want to work their tails off make sure you get the right people in there and that for both of these guys i think is going to be a little bit of a risk in terms of bob nicholson when he has and goes through the interview process but you can get a comfort level on that uh, boy i think you got two pretty good guys right there and there's certainly many many others that are out there yeah well those are two interesting names for sure Brian, it is always great to have you on the show. It's been far too long since we last chatted, so let's keep in touch. Enjoy the drive here into the playoffs, and I'm sure we'll talk during the postseason too. Appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Brian Lawton checking in from the NHL Network tonight on Inside Sports. So a couple of names going out there, and actually Chris and Victoria texted in about Bill Guerin. So you got some thoughts there from Brian Lawton that in his mind, he and Kelly McCrimmon, would be two top candidates to be a GM, whether it's here in Edmonton or somewhere else in the NHL. Garen now with the Pittsburgh Penguins and his assistant GM, Kelly McCrimmon, longtime general manager with the Brandon Wheat Kings, last couple of seasons as an assistant GM with the Vegas Golden Knights, and you know what they've been able to do since they came into the NHL. So some interesting thoughts there from Brian. Okay, you can text 630-630. Our phone number is 780-496-0063. You will hear a little bit from Hitch, and we'll uh, go into the vault again and uh, talk about another unusual double hit when we get back to Inside Sports. 
This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Appreciate you tuning in tonight at 6.50. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 6.30. Chet, our next Oilers broadcast is Thursday when they host the Vancouver Canucks. It'll be a 5.30 face-off show, and the game will start at 7 o'clock. We were talking about the uh, unusual Jason Pominville double hit, blocking his own shot, basically preventing Buffalo from tying the game against the Oilers late in the third period. And I know this name came up on overtime open line last night, and that is the name of T.C. Chen. A golfer competing in the U.S. Open in 1985 and doing very well in the final round, and then this happened. doesn't look to be lying too badly. He looks to have a sand iron in his hand. He's just got to make sure he keeps the body still, the hands forward, just make a firm, decisive little shot, land it on the edge of the green. Oh, he hit it twice. Ah, well, well, well. Now, Frank Hannigan, I think that was a double, if not triple, hitter there. Well, if he hit it twice, it's, uh, it counts as two strokes. Let's see uh, on the uh, slow-mo repeat, Peter. I think he stubs the ground, and then the club catches the ball up, which uh, I think it'll show us very clearly. He's all right to hear. He catches the grass, the club stops, and then the club comes on there and just hoiks it round to the left. From the magic of YouTube, from the 1985 U.S. Open, so T.C. Chen, obviously uh, T.C. does not stand for two-chip, but that's how he was known after that. I, I had to read up on this. He was uh, When that happened, Kellen, it was on the fifth hole on Sunday. All right. Final round of the U.S. Open. He has a four-shot lead on Andy North. He took an eight on that hole. Oh. So he, he chipped it, and it kind of, with a low velocity, popped up in front of him, and then on his fall-through, he hit it again. And it went left of where he was aiming and kind of stopped on the fringe. He ran a long putt by the hole, then missed that putt, and and then holed out for the eight. So he took a quadruple bogey eight on the fifth hole. So there went his four-shot lead. He then bogeyed the next three holes. But then he bounced back and got into it and uh, only lost by one shot. But rather than being known as a USO Open champion, he is known as uh, two-chip Chen. Andy North won it. There were three golfers tied for second. Here's the quiz for Kellum. I don't know if you're going to know this, because I know you're not a big golf guy. Mm. Do you know what Canadian finished tied for second that year? Uh, was he an analyst for a certain sports network at some time? Uh, I don't think so. No? Okay, then I don't. It was Dave Barr. Does that oh, name okay. ring a bell? No. Yeah, okay, that's no. okay. You were thinking of um, Zoko, who we've, yeah. we've had on the show probably. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was not Richard Zoko, although that would have been a decent guess too. So that was T.C. Chen. That's the reference to that. He's got the ball in the rough, off the green, and he goes to chip, and it flips up. He kind of fluffed it, and then as he's following through, he bats it out of the air. So you get a one-stroke penalty for that, and you play it where it lies. So basically, you get a stroke for hitting it each time you hit it. 
then they, this is one of the rules they changed. You know, they did they they did the big overhaul of the golf rules. That right. is no longer a penalty. You would just go play it where it lies. They said, hey, you're not meaning to hit it twice. It's accidental. So wherever the ball winds up, you get to play it from there. So that was mm. two chip Chen. Uh, it was sort of like Palmerville, though he still hit it forward. Palmerville actually pulled his back out of the net on what looked like a sure goal. So anyway, the magic of YouTube. There we go. And now, US, what the 1985 uh, U.S. Open? What the uh, double doink that happened in the playoffs this year in the NFL playoffs count in that category? Even though it well, no, because that's him, not a that's not a person using his club or stick. No, to contact the the object. And that was post or that post was, post and out, right? Right. So, or I think it was post crossbar and out. Right. I guess it's a form of the double doink. Sure. <laughs> All right. Oilers getting set to take on Vancouver on Thursday. And uh, as I mentioned, it has not been good at home for the Oilers. Uh, here's Hitch on being better at Rogers Place. We're going to have to win our home games and play better at home than we've ever played this year if we expect to get in. But we've given ourselves a chance. But we're going to have to go and earn it. They're not going to give us points at home. We, 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 quite frankly, have to play better at, at home uh, than we have all year uh, if we expect to do it. But no, now we've opened the door for ourselves and we just want to keep playing. I think that we've played much better on the road lately uh, than we have at home. And we're going to have to go and take some of the stuff we've been doing on the road into our home games. 3-1-1 one, and one on this road trip for the Oilers. Just four wins in their last 16 at Rogers Place. So why? Why the difference? from home to road. Well, I think you become impatient. I think when you don't have success right away, we, we've shown impatience. We, we haven't stuck with it. You know, we've we've tried to crack it open and, and paid for it because of that. We've got into the trading chances game, whereas we stay with it on the road. You know, we, we understand what we've got, and we understand who we are, and we're willing to stay with it, whereas at home we... We get impatient and we want to strike right away. So if we can bring some of that patience off the road back home and keep working like we are and keep having the good spirit we got going, you never know. Well, I'll tell you something. One thing that has plagued the Oilers this season and last season as well for that matter, they tend to give up goals in bunches. When they have a section of the game where they're getting outplayed, they don't get out of it with limited damage. We've seen that a lot. We've certainly seen it on home ice several times. The game against Chicago was a perfect example where they're up 2-1 and they wind up losing 6-2. And it's, it happened on the road trip because Nashville got a couple of quick ones. They still got a point out of that game. In Toronto, it happened, and they did not survive that game, but they were able to survive it last night in Buffalo. They gave up three goals in the first period, and they are able to fight back. And, and I think Hitch is right. Probably patience, one of the things playing into that. All right, we have the 7 o'clock news and weather coming up. Kelly Rudy will check in after that. I want to remind you that some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Don't forget about brunch, Northern Chicken-style buttermilk biscuits, sausage gravy, and smashed potatoes. Sundays from 11 a.m. and until 2. Visit NorthChickenYEG.com. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.